0: Forest Lake was the most powerful man in Seminole County for the first three decades of the 1900s. In fact, he was the man who created Seminole County. How powerful was Forest Lake? He was Sanford's mayor, a state representative for the region, and a banker who funded much of the development in downtown Sanford that still exists today. But 95 years ago this week, Forest Lake's empire came crashing down And the city of Sanford was left to clean up his mess. You're listening to Celery City Stories, the podcast for curious people that explores the incredible history of Sanford and Seminole County, Florida, they didn't teach in school. I'm your host, Dan Ping. Lake was born in 1868 in Newberry, South Carolina, and he moved to Sanford in 1886. He was first elected mayor in 1893 and would be re-elected 10 times over the next 34 years. When he wasn't serving as mayor, Lake represented the region for two terms in the Florida House of Representatives, during which time he was responsible almost single-handedly for chopping off the northern section of Orange County and creating Seminole County in 1913. In addition to creating a new county, the legislature also gave Forest Lake a valuable new business opportunity, a charter for a new bank. Lake had always been a big booster of Sanford. During his time in office, the first street paving projects began, a new city hall was built, a seawall along Lake Monroe was constructed, A golf course was laid out west of the city and a band was constructed on the lakefront. Lake was just as enthusiastic about private development as he was about public improvements. And as president of the Seminole County Bank, he loaned money for developments big and small. Never one to let an opportunity pass, Lake jumped into the development game himself, buying land, building subdivisions, and constructing his own Taj Mahal the Hotel Forest Lake. Today we know that building that overlooks Lake Monroe as the Mayfair Hotel. Throughout the 1920s, Florida real estate prices soared. Forest Lake, the banker, led the charge by loaning money for new construction in downtown Sanford and nearby neighborhoods. In the early 20s, several buildings that still exist today were built. The Masonic Lodge, the brumley Polston Building, the Minch Building, the Milan Theater, known today as the Ritz Theater, and the First National Bank Building, Seminole's first skyscraper that sits at the corner of First Street and Park Avenue. By 1927, however, the real estate boom was grinding to a halt, and banks across the state were beginning to close. Had Lake been just a banker, The bust would have sank his bank, and perhaps Sanford's fate would have been no worse than any other Florida city. But Lake and the city of Sanford were as intertwined as skunk vine around a camellia bush. For starters, Lake had settled the city with $5 million in debt over a 10-year period to finance all the public improvements. The money had been raised through bond sales, the proceeds of which were deposited in Lake's bank. What could go wrong? A few strong-willed citizens had questioned this arrangement, but they were labeled as non-believers in Sanford's economic potential. By the summer of 1927, the ranks of those non-believers began to grow. The city had a $240,000 payment due to bondholders on July 1st, What few people knew at the time was the city had just $81,000 in its account at Seminole County Bank, Lake's bank. To make the payment, Lake convinced the state legislature to allow the city to take on even more debt by selling $170,000 worth of bonds. While in New York to sell the certificates, Lake also sold $500,000 worth of bonds supposedly for the purpose of extending the seawall and building a new fire station. Almost immediately, questions began to be raised. First, Lake claimed to have personally guaranteed the bonds, a claim that local businessmen found suspicious. Second, Lake asserted he sold the bonds for 95 cents on the dollar, meaning investors would earn 5% interest. But word trickled back from New York that the notes sold for less than 90 cents on the dollar. Furthermore, there were questions about what was happening to all of that bond money. In the fall of 1926, Lake traveled to New York and sold $1.6 million worth of municipal bonds, yet projects like a new hospital and a swimming pool had yet to begin. Throughout July of 1927, Sanford Herald editor Roland Dean and the Taxpayers League Led by businessman d l thrasher and attorney george herring undertook a relentless campaign to find out answers the problem was the city's books were stored at lake's bank and lake would not release those records thrasher and the taxpayer league had been suspicious of lake's freewilling style for some time in 1921 Lake had convinced the citizens to reduce the city commission from seven members to three. Since Lake was one of the three, it made it easy for him to manipulate the vote. The Taxpayers League had forced an August 5 referendum asking citizens to expand the city commission from three members to five and to require the commission to establish and adhere to an annual budget. A rally one week before the election drew 2,500 people to City Hall. With that much support, it was clear the Taxpayers League would easily prevail. It did not. You see, in 1927, only landowners could vote in the city of Sanford. The ledger books at Lake's bank were full of men who had received loans at little or no collateral. A courtesy call by Lake, the banker, to check up on those outstanding loans was a powerful tool in persuading folks to see things from Lake, the mayor's point of view. When the votes were tallied, the referendum failed. Lake's supporters held a boisterous celebration and at one point threatened to burn down the Sanford Herald office located at 107 Magnolia Avenue. Most recently, that building was home to the Smiling Bison restaurant. The celebration was Lake's last triumph. The next day, August 6th, Lakes Bank did not open for business, and it never would. That afternoon, Lake submitted his resignation as mayor and left town for Philadelphia, where his wife had traveled to seek medical treatment for cancer. By August 9th, city leaders were facing a harsh reality. Sanford was broke. An audit was ordered of the city's finances, and those city employees who were not laid off saw their salaries cut by nearly 20%. Concerts at the bandshell were canceled, the golf course was closed, and property taxes were raised by 150%. Rumors swirled about where all that money had gone. Some said Lake had hid the money in out-of-state banks. Others claimed to have seen trunks of cash being moved in the dead of night from Lake's home, which sat at the southeast corner of Park Avenue and Sixth Street. Today, that site's a parking lot. In reality, there was no mystery as to where all that money had gone. Lake had used city funds to loan money for real estate deals for himself and others. When the real estate market crashed, Sanford citizens were left holding the bag. Lake would eventually return to Sanford after his wife died, and his lawyers put up a vigorous defense to dozens of charges during the course of five trials. In the spring of 1928, prosecutors had proved Lake had swiped $553,000 in deposits from the bank, calculating for inflation, that would be worth $9.5 million in 2022. Lake was also found guilty of falsely issuing $1.3 million in city bonds. That would be about $22 million today. He was sentenced to 16 years hard labor at the penitentiary in Rayford, but his shenanigans continued. Using his dwindling influence, Lake convinced the Florida Supreme Court to overturn all but a single conviction, which carried a three-year sentence. Lake tried to get even that conviction thrown out by arguing that he was insane and therefore not responsible for his actions. It didn't work. Lake began serving his sentence in 1931. After serving his prison sentence, he returned to Sanford, but disgraced. When he died in 1939, Lake was almost penniless and was buried in the city cemetery off West 25th Street. It would be another 32 years before the city of Sanford buried the last of the death that Lake had piled upon Sanford citizens. Think about that for a moment. When Lake was convicted of his crimes in 1928, a few people were still using horse and buggies. By the time the city paid off all of Lake's debt, daredevils out at the Cape were riding rocket ships to the moon and back. Paying off those bonds could not whitewash the stain of Lake's name. In 1976, when the Sanford Chamber of Commerce published a retrospective of the city's entire history, Forest Lake's name was never mentioned. The man who served 11 terms as mayor, two terms in the Florida House, and created Seminole County was never mentioned once. That's what happens when you're responsible for bankrupting a city. Anyway, they didn't teach that story in school, now did they? Some people have mixed thoughts about Forest Lake today. I don't. I'm not a fan of the man. Some folks argue that Forest Lake was responsible for the growth of the city and the infrastructure that we use even today. They also mention that without Forest Lake, Sanford would be playing second fiddle to Orlando as part of Orange County instead of being the county seat of Seminole County. That's all true, but the man was still a crook. And I haven't even told you about the time Forest Lake stole the city. Yes, yes. He literally stole a city from its citizens. That story deserves its own show, and I'll tell it in a future episode. But enough about Forest Lake. We'll talk plenty about him in future episodes. I want to give a few listener shout-outs. Y'all continue to amaze me with the kind comments and just the support you're giving me for this podcast. I really appreciate it. I do want to single out a few folks. Jolene Allen, Tyler Reed, Mark Cochran, David Downey, and Paul Strickland. They all left very nice reviews about the podcast. Five-star reviews, I might add. Thank you guys very much. That was very kind for you to do that. If you would like to leave a review, you can do so on my website, CeleryCityStories.com. Also, I want to give a big thank you to Damon Hawkins. Damon sent me an email about a great story idea. It's a a subject that I had heard about, don't know a lot about, uh, and had kind of forgotten about, but Damon reminded me of this story, and I greatly appreciate that. By the way, if you have ideas for stories, or if there's something that you want me to research and look into, please reach out to me. You can do it two ways. You can send me an email, dan at celerycitystories.com. You can always reach me there. Also, if you'd like to leave a voicemail, You can go to the website, celerycitystories.com, and down in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a blue circle with a microphone icon in it. Click on that button and just follow the instructions. It usually works best if you're using a smartphone or a tablet. The microphones on those devices usually work pretty well, so that would be the best way to leave a voicemail. Also, I'd like to correct a couple of errors that I had in last week's episode about Buddy Lake. There was a couple of discrepancies in my description. At one point, I mentioned the DeLand Red Caps, and then in another instance, I mentioned the DeLand Red Hats. The DeLand nickname was actually the Red Caps, not the Red Hats, so I apologize for that. Also, I gave you the wrong date for Buddy Lake's birthday. Buddy Lake was born July 30th, 1913. I said June. I just That's my Tennessee public school education, I guess. I apologize for those errors, and thanks to the listeners that pointed that out to me. Thank you very much. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back next Thursday with another Celery City story. Have a great week.